Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Your host, Andrew Donaldson. This is Heard Tell. Uh, welcome back to Heard Tell. She's back. Anytime we got to talk North Carolina politics, this is our go to. She's the communications person for the John Locke Foundation in North Carolina. Brooke Medina, our good friend. Welcome back. Been a little hey, bit. Hey, I'm back. Yeah. So glad to be here. <laughs> so, last time we talked to you, we had just had a Senate debate, we had had the uh, Carolina Liberty Conference. And Ted Budd no-showed it was kind of the headline of that conference. We talked about it. Folks can go back and listen to that conversation right here on Hertel. Now, we said we would talk again when the Civitas polling came out. Well, here it be. We got the Civitas polling. And we've got some surprises here that actually made national news. I saw uh, Real Clear picked it up and was running with it. Tell us what came out in the Civitas poll on the North Carolina Senate that's got everybody kind of eye-popped. Yeah, so just to remind everyone, the previous poll that we did was back in January of GOP primary voters, and that was where uh, Pat McCrory and uh, Ted Budd were almost neck and neck. McCrory had a little bit of a lead. Um, Now that lead is gone, and Ted Budd is decidedly the leading candidate at the moment. Um, But also interestingly, so Budd, for example, is leading McCrory, Walker, Eastman, and then all the other candidates. But um, but there's still many, many undecided voters in this race, which is interesting because the primary is only about a month away. So uh, this is an interesting poll, but I think it's telling us that a Trump endorsement actually does matter quite a bit. And uh, so does a bunch of club for growth money, which Bud has both of those. Yeah, they've been running ads nonstop. He has that endorsement. But the thing that's kind of befuddled us, and we talked about this last time, is that's all he's doing. He's not running anything vaguely resembling a traditional campaign. Uh, Maybe he's going to ramp it up in the next 30 days, but his strategy really seems to be show pictures of Trump with his arm around him and hope for the best. Have you seen anything differently? Because this is very, this is kind of a confounding strategy. It's working, apparently, but this is not the traditional way to win politics in the state of North Carolina, is it? It's not or it wasn't prior to Trump, I would say, but we polled these voters and over half of them said a Trump endorsement makes all the difference in the world for them in terms of who they're going to be voting for. A lot of them are still very loyal to the former president. And so this matters to them and uh, his endorsement matters to them. I'll also be interested in seeing how his endorsement plays with some of the congressional seats as well. Um, But I think that this is one of those cases where we're seeing a um, a North Carolina electorate on the GOP side that just um, they're still they're still holding on to 2020 in a lot of ways and and maybe even 2016. And uh, so 
Bud's strategy has been hang on to that endorsement um, and, and and allow that to be the coattails on which he rides on in some in some respects. Now, I'm really bad at math, but help me with this, because the pushback on that would be, OK, half of the voters say they want the Trump endorsed candidate. Fair enough. Bud's winning. He's up uh, 11, 10 or 11 points, statistically 11 points on this poll. But there's 39 percent undecided as well. That's incongruent to me because half of them can't say, well, the endorsement matters. And then 39 percent of them are still undecided. What's going to decide this race in the next uh, 36 days as we sit here looking at it? Because I don't think there's going to be something super dynamic. We pretty much know what we know about these candidates. Bud's kind of avoiding the spotlight in a lot of ways. Is there anything that's really going to move the needle here on out or is it just all Trump all the time from here until May? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think if we've learned anything from politics, even going back to the 26th election, 2016 election, um, things can change in a very, very short matter of time. And uh, we only need to look at Hillary Clinton's rise and then quick descent in 2016 for that. But um the uh, undecided is when you narrow that field and you look more closely at the cross tabs of this poll. Uh, the undecideds narrow and go down by down to twenty nine percent once you um, once you eliminate some of these Senate candidates. Right now, we have a wide variety, uh, an array of Republican Senate candidates, um, and so when you only narrow it to four to- the four top contenders, which are Bud, Walker, McCrory, and Eastman, uh, that number of undecideds drops decidedly. However, I think that uh, we're going to see more Club for Growth ads. We're going to see more other PAC ads. McCrory is kind of turning up the heat as well. Um, I wouldn't count on anything or take anything for granted if I were part of the Bud campaign or the McCrory campaign. And uh, Walker continues to insist he is still in this race. Real quick, because we like to, we don't just like to, you know, cover the news. We want to explain it. You said something really important there because it's something I learned when I started writing. Explain to folks when they see these poll numbers, there's the headline and everybody just sees the headline and runs with it. Just walk folks through for just a second, just so they understand how these things work, what a cross tab is. Because if you if you get these poll numbers, they tell you one thing, but you know, statistics, the great Vince Scully always says, you know, they're like a lamppost, everybody's illuminating, but a lot of times they're just holding a drunk up. These cross tabs are where the data is. So just explain to folks real quick, especially a really good, well done poll like the Civitas poll. That's why we use it. Those cross tabs give you a lot of additional information. They give you the context that the headline doesn't always. So just explain to folks real quick how that works and how they can check on those things. Because that's one of the things when I look at a poll is like, if they don't show me the cross tabs, if they don't give me that raw data to dig into, that's a poll that I'm going to look suspiciously at. Yeah, and there are many mainstream polls out there that do not include the cross tabs. Uh, we make sure that we always include that in all of our Civitas polls. So if you go to johnlock.org slash polls, you're going to be able to find not only the top lines, which is like those um, those initial numbers that are just the more basic ones. It's the question, and then it's the results from that question. But the cross tabs are kind of what their names say, uh, suggests it, it is the cross alignment of one question with another question. So you think about it kind of like as an X, Y axis, and um, it will explain to uh, those who are reading it. Okay. If a female in the 15 or 34 to 50 year old demographic also said, um, that she was going to vote for Bud. We can also look at what other questions she answered and said maybe that she was also planning on voting for Trump in 2024 if he was running. So it helps us define or narrow down what kind of respondent 
is actually answering these questions. And that's really helpful for political campaigns, but also people who are in public policy like us, where we're trying to better understand people. And we want to understand what drives them. And if you only ask someone one question, like, how are you doing today? Um, they might automatically say fine, but you have to drill down into, uh, into some deeper questions or other questions to properly contextualize. And that's what crosstabs do. It can be a little, um, it can be, a, I don't know, it can be a little difficult to read them at times. So I suggest coffee beforehand, uh, but they are very helpful means of information or data points that can give us a better understanding of really where the electorate is at. Yeah, uh, our friend Brooke Medina is back with us. She does communications for John Locke Foundation. This is the Civitas poll we're talking about, North Carolina Senate race. Okay, so the thing with this race, though, and you touched in it on the poll where they wrote it up at carolinajournal.com, uh, the magic number on this race is actually not just uh, the plurality of voters. The actual magic number is 30%, because in the state of North Carolina in this race, 30% is going to avoid a runoff. So obviously, Bud wants to try to coast his way above it. McCrory, who's the nearest competitor, and Walker, by extension, they want to drag him down below it. Uh, that's kind of the race within the race right now, isn't it? Yeah, that's a that's a good point. That's an important point. And so if you are one of these, uh, if you're a supporter or the actual candidate yourself, uh, you need to keep these sorts of numbers in mind and again, not take anything for granted. Uh, the North Carolina electorate is quickly changing, but this is obviously uh, a statewide race. It's not just a congressional district. And so McCrory, Bud, Walker, Eastman, they all have to be mindful of um, the dynamics within North Carolina and have to reach a wide array of voters all across the state. Um, but also they have to be red media enough to appeal to the GOP primary voters, which are going to be um, the base of the base compared to the general election voters where they're going to have to make a a pivot to uh, win a, a general election against the Democratic candidate, who in all likelihood will be Sheree Beasley. All right. And for folks that are not familiar, just real quickly, uh, break down for them, because all the focus has been on the Republican side. Uh, there is going to be a general election, regardless of whether there's a runoff or not. Talk about Beasley for a minute, because she's not getting a lot of the attention because there are all the money and all the attentions on the GOP side. But North Carolina, it's trended redder, but it's still a competitive state. Tell us about the Democratic candidate for Senate that we're assuming is probably going to be the nominee. Yeah, that's um, and, and this is the thing. There's a statewide race right now. We have two Republicans in Senate uh, from North Carolina. But Sheree Beasley was a former uh, Supreme Court justice on the state Supreme Court and um, is certainly one that could be formidable um, against the Senate, uh, the Republican candidate for Senate. And so I think that the Democrat strategy right now is just let the Republicans go at it. Uh, the Democrats are pretty good at coalescing around a candidate. And so they're saving their money. They're saving their war chest and they're going to take it out uh, as it gets a little bit closer to the election. But North Carolina, yes, it is trending a little bit more center right uh, but even so, our Council of State, these are our highest offices that are statewide, such as the governor, lieutenant governor, treasurer, attorney general. That's a mixture of Democrats and Republicans. And so that um, 
indicates as well as just the North Carolina demographics changing and becoming more diverse, um, it indicates that no Republican candidate should uh, probably spend all of their war chest just winning this primary race. They're going to have to ramp up their fundraising and pivot to a Democratic uh, opponent very soon. Yeah, talking to Brooke Medina, a little North Carolina politics. Going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to put a bow on the polling for the Senate. We're also going to talk about uh, some other North Carolinians that have been in the news not for good reasons in the political side. We'll talk a little bit about that more with Brooke Medina right after that. Back to her tell talking to our good friend Brooke Medina. She's got polling data, she's got opinions, she's got insight. We always enjoy having her on her tell. Appreciate her time today. Okay, one of the things that's happening now is the Trump endorsement is obviously the whole story with Ted Budd. He's starting to get some other endorsements. Uh, President, former President Trump was in Selma, uh, in the last few days. Uh, Mark Robinson came out and endorsed Bud. For people that aren't familiar with North Carolina politics. Let them know who Mark Robinson is. That kind of surprised a few people. Uh, I do think that is a meaningful endorsement. Let folks know about Mark Robinson and why that kind of got folks' attention when he did that on stage with Trump standing there and endorsed Ted Budd. Yeah, Mark Robinson is our lieutenant governor. He's the first black lieutenant governor of the state. And uh, he has a strong, solid base of Republican voters. And so Uh, He is actually the most popular and has the highest favorability ratings of uh, Republican political figures right now across the state. Uh, That was another question that we asked in our polling, Uh, followed in short order by Senator Tom Tillis, which is kind of interesting because Tom Tillis a couple of years ago had the lowest approval ratings in all of the Senate. So that's a comeback story for you, but it's a little sidebar there. But Mark Robinson has uh, been no stranger to political flack. Um, he has said a number of bombastic things from church pulpits. He is often invited to those. Um, and so, so there is some divisiveness, I would say, in the uh, between the younger North Carolina Republicans and maybe those that are older or more socially conservative. Um, so there's been some back and forth there. But even so, generally speaking, Lieutenant Governor Robinson has a lot of approval across the state. And so a, his endorsement of Bud means even more because I would say even more North Carolinians are familiar with his name than they are with Ted Bud's. Yeah, and it's a pretty open secret that he's going to be running for governor just as soon as we get this 2020 midterm cycle out of the way. Everybody's expecting that. We'll we'll be talking about that down the road with you, I'm sure. Uh, okay, a couple other things going on in the Old North State. A uh, lot of attention to uh, the youngest congressman uh, of recent vintage, uh, Madison Cawthorn, out in the western part of North Carolina, and none of it's good. Um, you know, you're based out of Raleigh, you do Civitas, you do John Locke, you guys are plugged in, you do a lot of policy stuff. The nonsense and the noise around this individual, this stuff seeps through, it distracts. But when you're trying to do policy stuff, is this one of those things where it keeps popping up and it's just starting to really, really annoy everybody on top of the nonsense stuff that he does? Well, we certainly cover him um, 
and Carolina Journal, which is our news outlet. We have a print edition and an online edition. And so there are no shortage of stories related to Congressman Cawthorn there. Uh, but he, yeah, he's been under a lot of um, media scrutiny as well as public scrutiny and his uh, his approval ratings are showing it. Uh, he is young, like you noted, um, but he's got a lot of responsibility. And so being young is really no excuse for, uh, you know, behaving in some of the ways that he has behaved as of late, uh, talking about D.C. parties, wild drug laden and uh, sex induced uh, sex laden D.C. parties, um, as well as calling Vla- uh, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, a thug. But he is um, he is appealing to a certain base of his his voters. Um, but I don't know how that's going to play in the in the primaries. He ha- we have Chuck Edwards, who is one of his opponents, and it is showing the polling is showing from the Edwards campaign that he's actually gaining on Cawthorn. So we'll see we'll see how Cawthorn does. He spent a term in DC, has not been very present for a lot of it, and that's one of the chief criticisms against him. And then he's been saying just some things that uh that that definitely make people kind of look askance at him and wonder where where his maturity is. There's there's a part of this because the antics and the silly and I I find him just his behavior reprehensible on just a human level, let alone the politics of it. There's a big history in North Carolina. Uh, Richard Burr, who's the outgoing senator, of course, he has the the stock scandal, which is what put him on the shelf. Richard Burr, uh, part of the reason Tom Tillis's ratings have rebounded, most of the congressional de- delegation, both Democrat and Republican, there's a long tradition in the state of North Carolina, and you can speak to this. Your elected officials, when you go to that congressional office, when you go to that Senate office, you're going to get some kind of an answer. You're going to get some kind of personal service. That's why I think that's a big reason why Tom Tillis's stuff is rebounded. Uh, Richard Burr was well known for this. Like you, you got an answer when you went to his office. If you don't do that kind of work, that's not the stuff that gets on Twitter. That's not the stuff that gets on Facebook. It doesn't get talked about on CNN. But when people need something and they go to their congressman for it and you're not present and you're not there and you don't, I'm just going to say it. You don't have a competent staff to do those things. That's the stuff that really kills you when you go to the polling, because the people that are serious and show up to vote, those are things they still consider, even though it doesn't trend on Twitter. Right. Yeah, that's that's the human side of all of this is treating your constituents like people and not just numbers that you need to maintain power. Um, This isn't a reality TV show. These are real American lives. And uh, when you exert some sort of level of uh, authority over them and you are indicating that you're incompetent to do that, uh, word gets around, even if it isn't what catches fire on social media. Um, A little uh, story about Senator Burr is that uh, just a personal story was that when my mom and dad were in a very, very um, life-threatening car wreck, uh, I didn't have my passport. It was, well, I had a passport, but it was expired. And Senator Burr's office helped me out so that I could get a passport expedited and fly out to the Dominican Republic that very next day. But that speaks to constituent services. You're there to help your constituents, uh, not just go on podcasts and talk about wild DC uh, drug-induced parties. Yeah, and full bias and on the table for me. Uh, when I got my VA disability stuff, I went through uh, Senator Burr's office. They kind of helped get that log jam fixed out. So I'll, I'll throw that one out there, too. His staff uh, were always very good with us 
and trying to do things like that. Okay, another guy from the western part of North Carolina used to be a congressman, uh, more famously known lately for being the chief of staff for the Trump administration in the latter days, very much a focus of the January 6th investigation stuff, Mark Meadows. Uh, but apart from the January 6th committee issues he's having, he's gotten himself some bad press back in North Carolina over, of all things, election fraud. <laughs> Uh, and not the kind he accused everybody else of. You want to set this story up because it's 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 one of those. Look, I'm from West Virginia. We've done some hillbilly stuff. This is some hillbilly stuff right here that he tried to pull with this one. Yeah, um, Dr. Andy Jackson, who's the head of our Civitas Center for Public Integrity, has written about this. Um, so Mark Meadows it appears there were questions surrounding whether or not he was actually legally allowed to vote in North Carolina. And um, that had to do with his voter registration status, but it's just, um, it's pretty rich given all of the election integrity claims that have come from the Trump Trump administration. Um, And then now Trump's own former chief of staff, Mark Meadows is in hot water related to it. Uh, But it also exposes some of the North Carolina voter verification flaws. And so I would refer your listeners to johnlock.org where we talk about this and we examine whether or not uh, former Congressman Meadows did violate the law. And if he did, what is the recourse? How do you even address things like this? And North Carolina's election laws are so uh, regularly in the courts um, that it's hard to, it's hard to actually uh, exert any sort of punitive uh, measures against someone if they either mistakenly or purposefully violate our voter registration um, policies. So just to you know put you on the spot, though, you, you don't fully believe Mark Meadows' account that he was registered to vote in a 16 by 32 double wide on the side of Black Mountain. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I feel like he or those who were advising him didn't understand how voter registration in North Carolina is supposed to work, which is a problem in and of itself, especially because the states administer the elections. He lives in this state. He is a representative of the state or was. Um, Yeah. So I I think that uh, I I don't think that that was actually his address. I can't imagine him hosting little fundraisers there. (laughs) Nothing wrong with a double wide. I lived in one until I was 11, 12 years old and we moved back up yonder. So from the yep. double wide I came, I will happily go back to. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Brooke Medina, uh, one last thing just to kind of put a bow on this conversation, North Carolina politics. Uh, we saw the polling data. They did the favorability data. Um, is there any other issue? I know Trump is the elephant in the room on this election, but this is really going to be an economic election. Is there anything you're covering, whether it's the polling, the data, the stuff you're doing with Carolina Journal? Y- y'all just talking to policymakers around Raleigh for the state. This is the economy, the economy, the economy, isn't it? Well, it is going to be in the general election. I mean, inflation is now even at the next 40-year high. So it's at 8.5% it rose in March. Uh, So that is certainly going to be a central focus, as it should be, for this next election. But one thing we asked uh, the voters in in this past poll was, what are some of the other issues that matter to you? And still, among GOP primary voters in North Carolina, it's immigration, illegal immigration. So... 
uh, take that for what it's worth, but that is an issue that North Carolina GOP primary voters care about. We don't deal with that uh, federal issues like that at John Locke Foundation. We're far more concerned with state level policies. That's where we can exert some um, some uh, research clout. And so we're specifically focused on advancing school choice, making sure regardless of where you're from, that you have access to a really good education. Um, we're also focused on, of course, voter reform so that we can have um, voters voting in the district that they actually live in, not just like a double wide that they say they live in that's far from their home. Um, and then we're also focused on energy policies. We're moving more into that. We know the rising cost of energy is of top concern to North Carolinians as well. And so uh, if you go to johnlock.org, you're going to find lots of content related to these issues, as well as a, a number of other ones all across the state. Uh, we we want to make sure that we're continuing to advance freedom, um, but especially on the economic, education, and elections fronts. The North Carolina primary that we're talking about will be held in May. Uh, our friend Brooke Medina does a great job covering these things. We will continue to have you back on, but until we see you again here in a few weeks, let folks know where they can follow you. You already mentioned all the John Locke stuff, but where they, can they follow you and your social media so they can keep track of Brooke Medina when she's not off on cruises and gallivanting around L.A. and all the other fun stuff you were doing before election season kicks in and you got to work for a living. Yeah, yeah. I, I took a little siesta before election season. Now I'm ready and rearing to go. Uh, but you can follow follow me on Twitter at Brooke underscore Medina underscore or my Instagram, Brooke Medina writes. And uh, so would love to connect with you all there. And thank you for listening. Yeah, you do great work. We appreciate you so much. Can't wait to talk to you again, my friend, Brooke Medina. Thank you so much for the time, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you.